Hello. Good to see you, my friends. Welcome to episode 36 of the Great Lakes Horror Company podcast, presented to you by Library of the Damned. It's been a little while since you've listened to us, and there are reasons. Bodies needed burying. People needed silencing. Lots and lots of night digging. Basically, real life intruded, as it always does. But Great Lakes Horror is back. And for our return, Jason White talks with filmmaker and author Gregory Lamberson. So without further ado, let us get right into it. All right, welcome everyone. Um, today, I am happy to be joined by Gregory Lamberson. He is the author. He is an author and a filmmaker. He has directed movies like Slime City, Slime City Massacre, Killer Rack, and most recently Johnny Gruesome, which he adapted from his own novel of the same name. For his fiction, he has won three Ippy Gold Medals for Horror and is a multiple Bram Stoker Award finalist. His novels include Johnny Gruesome, Black Creek. The Frenzy Cycle Trilogy, and the Jake Hellman Files series. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for coming on with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Jason. Um, uh, right up first, I want to talk about um, Killer Rack. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Amazon banned this. Uh, it used to be available, from my memory anyway, I could be wrong, but I remember it being available on a lot of streaming services. And today I can't find it anywhere. Has it been banned from Google Play and Apple as well? Uh, as far as I know, it is on Google Play and Apple. And Amazon is a very strange beast. Uh, they warned us a couple of times that they were thinking about taking it down. And then it was just down without them telling us. And now it's backup uh, DVD only. Uh, Amazon is the only market that matters, quite honestly. It's nice to have those other ones, but all the revenue comes from Amazon, particularly Amazon streaming. So it's a, it's a bitter pill. Um, they're, they don't even evaluate the films. I'm not sure what the criteria is, but they decided that this film, which is really just an innocuous, zany comedy with all of two seconds of actual nudity, was too porn-y. So, really? uh, do, do you uh, think they even watched the movie, honestly? I, I know they didn't because I'm privy to the communications between my distributor and, and the reps over there. So uh, no one has watched it. It's just some weird judgment call they've made. And it's very strange because, you know, you can, buy, you can actually buy porn on Amazon. Yeah. And, and this film is just so darn silly and inoffensive and... And ultimately, it's a, it's a feminist film as well. I mean, the whole point of the film is it makes fun of sexists on both sides. Yeah. Uh, but we're we're redesigning the poster, and I imagine we'll get it back, back up for streaming at some point. It's just the hoops we will have to jump through. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of independent horror filmmakers, and Amazon has been doing this for a while. And uh, I'm sympathetic to all the filmmakers because it's artistic discrimination. But quite honestly, a lot of the people I know make very rough envelope pushing films. And I can see why some of those films might not meet through a criteria, but uh, certainly there are many, 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 many more offensive films available on Amazon than killer rack. Yeah. And 
books too i mean they have like erotica with bigfoot for example yeah i'm aware (laughs) (laughs) but betty downer and the killer boobs will be back at some point and it is still available on dvd you know one thing about my career anybody who knows me is i'm very tenacious and i will not allow a project just to languish unseen i will do whatever it takes to get it out there yeah yeah you really seem like that kind of guy because you you just keep coming out with stuff and uh it's always fun to see what you're going to do next honestly um and which speaking of which you recently released uh, the movie adaptation for johnny gruesome i was wondering what the biggest challenges were that you faced uh turning your book into a movie well just to clarify i wrote the story originally is a screenplay when I was 19 years old. That was back in 1984. And I spent many years trying to get the film off the ground. I could never quite raise enough money. So money would be the biggest challenge. But I turned the screenplay into the novel then and added a lot of material to flesh it out. And the movie that I've made is actually more similar to the original script that I wrote than an actual adaptation of the book. So it's a a script that was adapted into a novel and then the script became a movie. And uh, uh, it's been, it's been tagged as uh, your biggest uh, budget movie. I'm an independent filmmaker. That means I I raised the money myself. Okay. So you went through that process then too. Okay. Um, Johnny did have, you know, my, my biggest films prior to Johnny Gruesome were about $50,000, and some were less than that. One was thirteen. One that I produced was six. Uh, Johnny Gruesome was a $250,000 film, so it was a big step up, but that basically meant all the people that worked for me for free in the past, I was able to pay. I was able to pay myself a little something, uh, but it was still an 18-day shooting schedule. It was still very hard to do on the money. Yeah, when when you're doing your other movies on like a really low budget, do you often find yourself shooting on weekends only, or do you actually go out and and do it until it's done? Uh, I do a, I usually do like a week and a couple of weekends, but I it worked. That method worked on a couple of films, and then proved very difficult on other films because the problem is crew people have to work, and they would have to turn down jobs to be able to work on a film even for weekends. So they're turning down probably the same amount of work, whether they work on weekends or straight through. So it makes more sense to go straight through. Also, you have to get insurance and you want to keep your policy down to a month or less. So going weekends only can be prohibitive if you're doing everything the right way and getting insurance. Yeah. With uh, Johnny Gruesome, I was uh, surprised to see Michael uh, DeLorenzo playing the role of Johnny's father. Uh, How did it come about for him to join on? It was actually related to the casting of the actor who plays Johnny, uh, who's Anthony Della Torre, who played young Jack Sparrow in the last uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yeah. And this budget basically allowed me to do a what's called the SAG Ultra Low Budget Agreement, which is a contract with the Screen Actors Guild, where as long as you produce the film for less than a certain figure, you can hire union actors to work alongside non-union actors. All of my previous films were non-union. And, uh, you know, I looked long and hard to get the perfect actor to play Johnny Gruesome. And, and Anthony responded to a casting ad. He had already done Pirates, but it hadn't come out yet. And he was auditioning for a movie called Lords of Chaos, which is about the heavy metal church burnings and murder in Norway. Yeah. And he showed, me, he, had, she, he showed me his audition tape for that. He did get the part. 
and uh, it blew me away. I said, okay, this is the kid. We got to have him. Uh, when I wrote the script, you know, in 19, it was really based on my high school years, and I grew up in a very lily-white town. So all, all the characters I imagined in the script and then in the novelization were, were white, they were Caucasian. Uh, Anthony happens to be Cuban, and quite a few of the other actors I ended up casting were minorities as well, which is a good thing. Um, it wasn't a deliberate attempt. I was just casting the best people I found for the parts. Because Anthony was Cuban, it made sense then to look for an actor of Hispanic origins to play his father. And Michael DiLorenzo was, you know, right at the top of my list. I remembered him, of course, from all the TV shows he's done, like Fame and New York Undercover, but particularly an episode he did of a show I loved called Crime Story. And I, I, I've always wanted to work with actors who were in some of my favorite shows, so that really appealed to me. So it was really just a matter of contacting his agent and letting them read the script and, and working out the numbers. It's it's not that hard if you have a little bit of money to spend. Yeah. Uh, working with uh, some bigger stars, what what was the uh, atmosphere like on the uh, on the set while shooting? Well, you know, my films have all been low budget films, but I partly make my living working on larger films for other filmmakers. I, I work with a friend of mine named Chris Ray, who's the son of Fred Olin Ray, and I work with a lot of people. So, I mean, I know I know how you run a set with bigger names. So the way that we ran Johnny Gruesome is basically the way we ran, you know, the, the six to ten films that I've worked on for those guys. I, it, you have to have a pleasant working situation for the actors. They have to understand they're working on a low-budget film and they're not going to get all the amenities they're normally used to. But <laughs> as long as they're uh, friendly and respectful, it, it usually isn't a problem. You know, I worked on one of these TV movies that, that I'm mentioning that had uh, Catherine Lee Scott, who played Maggie Winters on the original Dark Shadows, and uh, that was awesome. So I've worked on a lot of films that have have had big names, including I worked on a film. I was first assistant director on a film called Battle Dogs, which is where I met Craig Sheffer, who's in my new movie. So. Yeah, you've worked a couple of times uh, with Debbie Roshan. I can, Sean, yeah. yeah, I, I, I can. Many more than a couple, I have to say. I, I've produced movies that I haven't directed, and I also worked as her assistant director on a movie she directed, and uh, I think we've worked together about six times, six or seven times. I, I consider her to be, and I'm sure I'm not alone, um, the queen of B horror films. Uh, she's been in so many films. Um, what's she like to work with? Um, a pleasure. She's very professional. She's very easy to work with. She always shows up on these sets knowing that there's very little money to go around. And I, I think not just her, but I think a lot of these actresses and actors have to be prepared for really unpleasant situations because a lot of these low budget films are. And I've always gone out of my way to make sure none of the actors have that type of experience. Um, you know, and that, that's why she's worked for me numerous times. She knows that I'm all about the work and she's all about work work and you all, sometimes you have to suffer a little to get the best work you can. Uh, I will say that her performance in Slime City Massacre I think is one of the best things she's done and I thought she was brilliant in Killer Rack. It's such a great comic performance. So I, I know that when uh, I'm able to bring Debbie out to Buffalo from, from Nova Scotia uh, that I'm going to get a, a great performance. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. Now you mentioned Slime City Massacre, and that that movie is a lot of fun, but it, it's fun for other reasons too, especially for people like me who are fans of horror literature. Um, 
our very own Sephora Guerin actually makes an appearance in that film. But I was wondering, how did you get Keelan Patrick Burke on board to star in that one? You know, I knew uh, Keelan is an online presence back when I was in the Horror Writers Association. I think I was in the HWA for about 10 years. And if I remember correctly, I actually approached him about starring in a bigger film uh, that never got made that a friend of mine wrote. And he was all up for it. And when it didn't come together, Slime City Massacre came together very quickly. And uh, he was just all up for it. I said, look, there's no money here. <laughs> we'll give you a producer. Come on out. And, uh, and uh, it was that simple. And he came out, and I thought he was terrific in the film. He is. He's a lot of fun to watch, especially uh, him being covered in all that green slime. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, we shot that movie in July, and I told everybody to be prepared for really uncomfortable Buffalo weather. And that was in 2009, and we had an unseasonably cold uh, July. At, um, he and Jennifer Beale and Debbie and Lee Perkins, those were the four people that, that had to be slimed up. We shot that in an abandoned train station, so there was no heat, no air conditioning, nothing. And it was freezing cold, and we had to put that gel uh, gelatin all over their bodies. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun, though, honestly. No, it was. That was a great shoot. That you know, Keelan, Debbie, um, and a couple of the other actors, and some of the crew people, all got SCM tattoos because it was such a great experience. And, and then I felt compelled to do the same thing. So we all have these uh, anagrams tattooed on our body that even when we tell people what the film is, most people don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, what came first for you in your career? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a guess that it was movies, that you started writing scripts before novels because of what you said earlier in the in interview, but uh, what came first, movies or books? Yeah, it was definitely movies. I knew, uh, you know, I, I was a movie fanatic from the time I was 10 years old, and I knew in seventh grade that I wanted to make movies, but I read, I read an awful lot in high school, and I always wondered about writing books as well. And after I made my third film, Naked Fear, which I don't know, we made for under $10,000 and really had trouble getting any distribution for, uh, I said, this filmmaking career isn't going anywhere, but I have a trunk load of scripts that can be turned into novels. And so I made that sort of my game plan to, to turn these stories into stories with bigger scopes, um, not be goofy horror films. I think that really separates my film work from my novels and that the novels are serious, they're scary, they're ambitious. Whereas the movies tend to be not, not tend to not take themselves so seriously. Yeah. Now, you published uh, a, the majority of your work, if I'm not mistaken, with Medallion. And I was talking with Sephir recently, and she said that uh, you guys were talking at at Fright Fest, and you were discussing your publisher Medallion going under. And she said that you saw the closure coming, and so you got your rights back. Now. I was wondering, what were the signs that you noticed of them going under? Well, first of all, I published 12 novels with Medallion, and they really did a good job promoting me and, and treated me the way I think <laughs> a lot of horror authors uh, at my level wish they could be treated. I mean, there, there was a time there where I was able to scratch out a living just writing books, you know, with the advances and everything. Um, and all the people there were great. I saw the trouble coming about three years ago when they stopped publishing books and switched to ebooks and started focusing their attention on a online culture and arts magazine called Crezio. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, who knows <laughs> what will take off and what won't. But uh, I knew because the the website went down, and then I noticed there was no social networking posts uh, for July or August. So and then I noticed nobody was returning my phone calls or emails. <laughs> and then I noticed some of the people I was closest to at the company no longer listed the company on their Facebook uh, profile. So, I mean, it, it was all pretty obvious what was happening as it was happening. And I was in contact with other authors and agents of other authors. And we were all just sort of looking for, <laughs> for what the, the closure would be. My, my big concern wasn't even that the books wouldn't be available. It's that I have some pending, let's say, TV movie TV deals for some of them. And I needed to know there was somebody at the company who could sign off on those deals. Um, you have to do that as part of the, you have to provide clearances to any production company that's going to do your work because they have to know they're not going to get sued. But as it turns out, um, the contracts all had a clause saying that in the event of bankruptcy, all the authors needed to, to do was submit in writing their request uh, to get the rights back. And I submitted mine in writing to the company before they filed for bankruptcy. And once there was a court appointed trustee, uh, I touched base with that person. So uh, I'm waiting for the sign. You know, all those books have to be taken down off Amazon. They're still available as ebooks. So I'm, I'm still waiting for a final disposition on that. But I've been told that the rights are all mine and I'm free to proceed from there. It was nothing like the situation that happened with Dorchester, you know, yeah. say a few years ago, but it was probably 10 years ago where all these authors were frantic that they couldn't get their books back. It was nothing like that. Well, that's good. That's a relief, too. Um, because I remember, like, 10 years ago, they were almost on the same level as uh, Leisure with uh, producing... Well, they didn't have the big, uh, the, the size of... Uh, uh, in their horror uh, selection of books, but they did have a fair amount of horror novelists, and you were one of them. And I was reading you back then, and and I was sad to hear that they that they uh, had to close their doors. Honestly, well, the first big change came, of course, when uh, mass market paperbacks were phased out, and that was right after my first book with them, right after Personal Demons was published. That was the one mass market paperback I had. The, the numbers just showed that that was not sustainable and that they had to go to the uh, the trade paperbacks, which I was fine with. And they had a nice long run with that, and I had a nice long run with them. They were put, putting out two books a month, um, which is good. I mean, it's it's not a huge amount, but it's 24 books a year. And sometimes they would do an additional book, like a coffee table book or something like that. Yeah. And, of course, in October, September, October, they, they would all be horror titles. So, yeah, they were really uh, – pushing horror for a while and uh i remember they they sponsored the uh, the stoker's banquet a couple of years and and they were all into it um i think they tried to diversify into different media applications that weren't necessarily sound and in the end it, it just didn't work out for them hey, you had as you said you had 12 books published with them and now they're pretty much homeless um once once everything is settled uh with amazon and whatnot do you have any plans on bringing these books back well i got into writing books because i wanted to tell the jake hellman files uh stories and i told six of them i originally had nine planned and and i kind of whittled it down to seven there's still a book left to be published so it's a good thing for me that the rights came back because they decided they didn't want to publish those anymore. 
Um, so it's a good thing for me that I can. I'm not really at the moment gung ho about getting into self publishing. I, I just don't want to have to worry about doing the covers myself and the types and the formatting and the marketing and all of that stuff. So I have spoken to somebody already about uh, acquiring all of my books except for the Jake Hellman Files books. And the reason I'm going to sit on those for a while is that I've been developing a potential TV so series with George Mahalka, who's a very well-known Canadian filmmaker, for a few years now. And George is making some progress with that. So it makes sense to me to hang on to those rights until I see whether or not that actually becomes a go. Because if a TV show were to result from that character, those books then would be a desirable commodity for a big publisher. Yeah, that would, that would be fantastic if that became a TV show. Why not? Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's my dream is to get the, those books as a TV show. And that might uh, suck up all your time. <laughs> Yeah, well, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> there would be some real money there, and uh, uh, steady money too. I don't, you know, I know friends who do quite well with self-publishing. I'm kind of spoiled in that I liked having a publisher paying me advances and all those years. At the same point, I want the books available, but I it's very time-consuming to be a filmmaker. You spend so much time raising money, so much time developing something before you shoot it so much time in post-production it really doesn't leave a lot of time to be doing the marketing angle of a self-publishing author so i'm not ruling it out but i just haven't made up my mind on that front just yet yeah now um how would you say uh before we go um i just want to know what you uh, your opinion in on the uh, publishing world and how it's changed since you started pu publishing professionally well, it's funny, even when I was being published by Medallion, I, I always felt like they were their own separate entity, separate from the rest of the publishing world. I did everything from them. So I really am not learned on how the publishing world was working other than, you know, through communications with friends. I'm really not informed enough to say. I know it's it's much harder. I know that there's a lot of self-published authors there. There's so many and there's so much uh, unedited material available that it, it kind of reflects bad, badly on everyone because I know there are also people who are doing it correctly. Um, yeah, it's an interesting frontier out there. I, I would not want to be uh, starting out <laughs> as a self-published <laughs> right now. Yeah, because there, as you said, there's so many out there. You're basically a pin in a pile of pins. And... Uh, to, to set yourself apart would be really hard, but you do at least have that advantage. You've been publishing for a long time and there's, you have an audience, you know what I mean? If you were to yeah. take that route. It's, it's hard for me to imagine working six months on a novel and then putting it up for Amazon for 99 cents though. Yeah. So I have some things I have to work through emotionally. Before <laughs> you have to come to terms with some things here. <laughs> Yeah, it's one thing to publish my, you know, my back catalog that way. It's another thing to do new work that way. Yeah. Um, so, are you working on any novels now, uh, or do you think you're just going to stick to uh, doing movies? Well, right now I'm in post production on a movie called Widow's Point, which is an adaptation of a book by Richard Chismar and his son Billy Chismar. A very, very popular book, I have to say. Mm -hmm. And that that's the movie that stars Craig Sheffer. That's a scary ghost story about a haunted lighthouse. So we're editing that right now. That's what my focus is. But now that I have the rights back to my books, I know that I can do the uh, the seventh Jake Hellman book. 
You know, I, we build the sixth book as, as the finale, but it wasn't. It was just the setup for the finale. So I, I have, I definitely have one more book I want to write just to finish that series off. And I imagine, you know, later in life when I'm maybe feeling too old to be directing 15, 16 hours a day, uh, I'll probably move back into writing books. But I don't see doing it unless an idea strikes me that should be told as a novel. You know, there was all the books that I did that weren't Jake Hellman books, Johnny Gruesome, the Frenzy Wolves books, Black Creek. Those were all just icing on the cake. It's because we couldn't release a Jake Hellman book every six months. So I would write something else, you know, yeah. so that I'm doing a book every nine months. I, I, I'm not in that position now where I have an income stream coming in from writing books. So the pressure isn't on me to keep coming up with things. So I would only do it if there was an idea that I, that I really wanted to tell that way. That's uh, that's pretty cool though because uh, like those books uh, that you mentioned, like Black Creek and uh, your werewolf books, those were uh, those were a lot of fun. Uh, I would like to see them back in print myself. And they were fun to write. Um, I'd like to see them back in print, and by print I mean I'd, I'd like them to exist as books in addition to uh, you know online eBooks. Yeah, exactly. So. Um... Uh, right what, now, they're still available, though. We should tell anyone. Yeah, they are still uh, there. It's not, not taking them down, so you can buy hard copies of all 12 books. Grab them while you can. Yeah, exactly. All right, so before we go, uh, where can people find you online? Oh, I'm all over. I have, I have my own Facebook page. I have a, an author filmmaker page. I generally have pages for each one of my projects. There's a Jake Hellman page, Johnny Gruesome page, and so on, so... Just enter my name into Google and you'll find me somewhere. Excellent. I want to thank you personally for being on the show, Gregory. And uh, we will talk to you again. All right. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for reading those early books. Hey, no problem. Uh, I just hope you, you know, honestly, I hope that you get more ideas that you feel you have, you feel compelled to write and, uh, and uh, you do it some more. Thank you. I am writing all the time. It's just that I'm writing screenplays. Yeah. <laughs> I don't go a week where I don't write a screenplay or edit a screenplay or revisit a screenplay. So I'm constantly writing. It's just not prose. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Craig. Thank you. You can find the Great Lakes Horror Company on Facebook. Just search for us by name and on Twitter at GL Horror Podcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future show, please email us at glhc at horror-writers.ca. Great Lakes Horror Company is sponsored by libraryofthedamned.com. It was created by Andrew Robertson and is produced by Sefra Guerin, Monica S. Kubler, and Jason White. Our theme music has been provided by Leslie Kervost. Thank you, and we will see you next time. <laughs>